Good morning, everyone. Hello. Good thing you didn't you. start before. Hello. No, if he Everybody. would want to start before, it would be a big problem. Yeah, start before. Yeah. No, okay. Good morning. Bed. Bed. Two lines from the bottom. And it should be for Elon Shama for Ariel Pinchas. And for Shlema for Holy Swav, today's share. Okay. So we are two lines from the bottom. So we're going to be talking about now um, the issues of having a clean body when wearing tefillin, what one is allowed to do, what one shouldn't do. Obviously, one should always try to uh, relieve themselves before davening, but we're going to discuss what happens in the event that uh, someone finds themselves in the uncompromising position, or the compromising position, that they have to relieve themselves while wearing tefillin. We're going to discuss a little bit today, before we get to the uh, halachos um, outside of the Gemara, about one one what one does in the event that they have to relieve themselves, either katana, meaning to, uh, to urinate, or gedolim, or to, uh, to defecate while wearing tefillin. And, but before we get to that, we'll discuss that more outside of the halacha tomorrow, outside of the Gemara. Today we're going to discuss about what the reason for tefillin is, just so we have an understanding as a, as a baseline, as a, uh, you know, as a launching pad before we discuss the, uh, the individual halachos regarding wearing tefillin and what it means to have a gufnaki, a clean body. So the Gemara starts two lines from the bottom. And it says, on Chav Beis and Beis, it says, Tan Rabbanan, Haya Omeid Betfila Umayim Shosin Al Berkov. You're davening and all of a sudden there is urine. Obviously the Gemara uses what's called a Lashonaki, a, a cleaner language. It says water is trickling down your legs, which means that uh, maybe you're aware or unaware uh, but your bladder is leaking. So, you should actually stop davening, okay, you're in the middle of davening, Shimon Esrei, and you notice that, uh, you know, your, 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 your pants are getting wet, and you're, uh, you're urinating on yourself, but you should stop davening until the water actually stops, meaning until you actually stop urinating, and then you can go back and daven. Now, this is obviously very different than, um, than number two, okay? So, the Allah is certainly much more uh, lenient when it comes to number one. So the Gemara says, when you do go back, it says you should stop until the, you stop urinating. Then you go back and you dive. And the question is, where do you go back? Do you go back from the very beginning? Or do you go, pick up from where you left off? So the Gemara says, where do you go back? Can you say the very beginning, beginning, beginning. Shimon Esrei. correct. So Rav Chistav Rav Amnuna, this is one opinion is that you actually go back to the beginning of Shimon Esrei. You stopped because you were, you were doing something improper. So there's a little bit of a penalty. The penalty is you have to go back to the beginning. The the other mandamar, the other opinion says, no, you go back the makam shepasak. Wherever you stopped, that is where you resume your tefillah. So the Gemara says, So what exactly is this machlokas? What's behind this understanding, the machlokas, this argument, when one stops because he's relieving himself, number one, when he resumes davening, does he go back to the beginning of Shemun Esrei? Does he go back to where he left off? What's behind this argument? So the Marasov, our one opinion, will hold, If the length of time that you waited was long enough for you to complete the entire Shemun Esrei, you go to the back. Meaning, you go back to the beginning. You start from the beginning again. If the pause was so long that during that pause, you could have completed the entire recitation of Shemona Esrei, <coughs> you go back to the beginning. Umar Savar, the other opinion holds, no, Lemakam Shepasak. You pick up wherever you go ahead and, and stop. Meaning, if you, even if you waited long enough, you still only go back to the place where you left off. 
the length of time or the length of delay has no impact or bearing and where you resume. So the Gemara says, that's a very, very odd way to interpret this machlokas. Why? Because then the machlokas should have simply been, <clears throat> it should have simply been revolving around if you waited long enough. The Gemara doesn't say if you waited long enough. If the whole machlokas is if you waited long enough, one says you go back, the other one says you, you just pick up where you left off, then that would have been said in the, in the original argument. <clears throat> to throw that in there as the basis of the argument doesn't make sense. And that's in fact what the Gemara says. Amar Vashi, According to what you're saying, the whole machlokas is whether you waited long enough or you didn't wait long enough. If you waited long enough to recite the whole Shemun they should go back to the beginning. Whereas the other person would say, no, it doesn't matter how long you wait, you pick up from where you left off. But that's clearly not what machlokas is because the Gemara doesn't even suggest in the initial interpretation, it doesn't suggest that this is the machlokas. Thank you again, Laser, for the water. Now, so the Gemara continues. It must be a different machlokas. That's not what they're talking about. The Gemara is talking about No, everyone agrees that if you actually would wait, let's say a full six, seven minutes, the length of time it takes us to say Shimon if you would really wait that full time, everyone agrees to go back to the beginning. Rather, we're arguing where the, and you only pause for 30 seconds. Clearly not long enough to recite the Shimon Marsav, our one opinion is Gavra Dechuyahu, ain't Roy, and therefore ain't Tfila. The question is, if at the very beginning, if you have to relieve yourself, let's say with number one, are you eligible to daven? That's the Machlokas. Machlokas is, <clears throat> you already felt a little bit of an urge to go, but you knew you can hold it in for the next half hour. So I'm, I'm, I come at 7.45, I'm already a couple minutes late. And I, if I go to the bathroom, it's 7.48, I have to say, let's say I have to say Kaddish. I, I'm, right? Let's say someone's morning, let's say Kaddish. If they put the phone on, they're going to miss everything. So I'll hold it in for a half hour. And then you realize you overestimated. It comes to Shimon Esra and you're not able to hold it in. So the question is, at the beginning, you, were, you already felt that urge. Should you have started? So one person says, no, if you felt that urge, even though you could have held it in, you were deemed ineligible from the get-go, and therefore, you should start from the beginning. That's sort of like a little penalty. And the other person says, no. No, you had the slight urge, but we all know that you have an urge, we can hold it in. You were driving on the highway, and you don't have a, a gas station. We go until we find the gas station. So just because we have the urge doesn't mean we can't hold it in. So this person said, no, he's eligible to daven, therefore, where he stops, he'll, he'll resume where he, where, where he stopped. So that's the machokas. Are you eligible? Are you considered a proper person to daven if you have the urge? Not where it's on, on the verge of coming out. We just feel the first urge that you have to relieve yourself. The Gemara continues and says as follows. Someone has to relieve himself. <clears throat> that's what we say in Nikavim Nikavim, right? Orifices, right? In the Ashayatzer. So someone has to relieve their, empty their orifices, meaning they have to relieve themselves. Ali Spalal. A person should really not go ahead and daven if you're starting davening in that position, that scenario. <clears throat> and if you did daven, your davening is an abomination, and you have to, the Rambam says, you would have to go back and repeat the davening. Meaning you finished davening, but you still are fighting the urge, the whole davening, the whole Shemona, so you're fighting the urge to relieve yourself. 
Is that considered a kosher tefillah? So we say it's an abomination to wave as something that's disgusting, and you would have to go back according to the Rambam. You actually says, listen to the Rambam, says, Someone who has the urge to go to the bathroom is able to hold it in, but the entire davening is focusing on holding it in. Obviously, he's going to go relieve himself after Shemon Esra, and he comes back, the Rambam says, you have to go back for multiple reasons, either because it's just disgusting to Hashem, or because you weren't able to have any kavana, right? You're fighting the, uh, your natural tendency to, to relieve yourself. Whatever the reason is, <clears throat> your Shemon Esra is invalid. No, where the Rambam, or not the Rambam, where the Gemara says you have to go back, or impeach Manasseh, it's only talking about where you're not able to hold it in. Even if you felt the urge, but you're able to hold it in, it doesn't matter to feel feel and it would count. How much do you have to be able to hold it in for? Meaning, how strong is the urge when you started to daven? On a scale of 1 to 100, if it was a 1, it should be okay. If it's a 90, it shouldn't be okay. Where is the defining factor? How much of an urge? We all know there are different urges, and the truth is, just biologically, if, during the course of a day, it, when, the normal amount that we drink, if one was to go to the bathroom, let's say, even if he doesn't have the urge, after 3-4 hours, since last emptying your bladder, typically you'll have at least a few drops of urine. That's just maturation. That's just the natural physiological process of our bodies. So the question is, Theoretically, you always have a little bit of an urge. You can always, assuming that you're you're not dehydrating, drinking normally. So the question is, where is that where is that cutoff? So the Gemara says, Vad Kama, how strong is that urge? How long would you have to be able to hold it in in order for your davening to be a davening, even though you felt an urge a priori at the beginning of davening? Gemara says, Amarav Sheshes, Ad Parsa until a parsa. Now a parsa is four mil, which is eight thousand amos which is the equivalent of somewhere about between two and a half to three miles, and the Gemara says about 72 minutes. Okay, uh, walking very slowly, but usually it takes about 15, 60 minutes to walk a mile, so it's a little bit, um, yeah, but it's a little bit, a little bit uh, slow walking, but... It says you're either one hour and 12 minutes or one hour and 36 minutes. Right, so 72 minutes is considered the traditional uh, view, correct? Um, and that's based on, now the question is, the Gemara is going to later on ask, why exactly, why not just say 72 minutes? To your point, Brian, why not just say 72 minutes? So the Gemara is going to say later on, there actually is two parts, length of time, and if you were able to do the normal exercise, you know, exercise usually generates, generates the, uh, the, the feeling to relieve yourself. So, <clears throat> it sounds like if you're like in the middle of a minion, they're about to start your house, right? You know you got to go, but it's not like crazy, right? You're better off talking Good. Right, so that's what it seems to say. If you're able to hold it in for 72 minutes, meaning that certainly for the length of Shemones, you're going to be able to hold it in, you can go. We're going to discuss a little bit later about, you know, this is just my area of work. I apologize, but colonoscopy. So people take a bowel prep the day before a colonoscopy. So if someone has what's called tefillas um if someone has intestinal disease, it doesn't necessarily mean disease, but if someone has shulshul, someone has diarrhea, let's just say, or someone actually has to go to the bathroom repeatedly the day before the colonoscopy. If you ever took a colonoscopy, the day before, um, you have to clean yourself out. And now we do it the night before, so when you wake up in the morning, there's still remnants. You should not be putting on tefillin that, that, that morning. You should do it after, probably later in the day, when after the colonoscopy and you're completely cleaned out. But if you can have residual, either passing wind or actually having to defecate, and you won't be able to control yourself because you take this high-dose laxatives, I'm not trying to be gross, 
you should not be putting on tefillin that morning. I see everyone here is above the age of 45, other than Mr. Burton, young Noah Burton. So it applies to everyone here. I just had my second colonoscopy a few weeks ago, so I could relate, um, and having done them for many years. So, you did, you did it to yourself? <laughs> it's called introspection. Yeah. You should put tefillin on. Tefillin, you need a gufnaki. We'll get to that. But you shouldn't put tefillin on that morning. But this is talking, just as far as talking about Tefillah, correct. We're talking about tefillah, but you are correct. But we're also we're going to get to. It's going to lead to. to um, it's going to lead to uh, tefillah. The next thing, you, you could daven. You could daven because if you don't feel the urge at the beginning, you can daven. Specifically, tefillah, though, you need a gufnaki, and and if you can't control yourself, right, then we don't sleep and we're. We'll get onto all this, but you're not allowed to fall asleep and we're in tefillah because you can't control your your bowel habits. Tefillah, you can always stop, and then but you. There's, there's a difference. We'll get to the nuances, but you're right. This is talking about business about uh, tefillah and, and kriya shema. It's, but I'm but I'm extending it to tefillah, and we can see you need a gufnaki. Are there any differences also between a shlitzibar as opposed to an individual person? Because embarrassing, you mean? No, just because they're up at shlitzibar. I've been able to run out of the room. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's, it's his tefillah. I, even more so, if his tefillah is not going to be a, uh, if it's going to be tuevo, we're, we're in trouble. But that's a good question, just as far as, you know, practical purposes. So the Gemara says as follows. There are those who say, when you get to the, uh, to the, uh, to the stuff off of Daf in a minute, the Gemara says, There are some who say, this whole machlokas about how long you have to wait is actually built into the price. It wasn't a separate piece. And it goes as follows. How long does one have to go ahead? Sorry, how long or how minimal or how strong does the urge have to be? Uh, to, to relieve yourself when you, when you start davening, that will determine if you have to go back to the beginning or not. If you're not able to restrain yourself, if you're not able to restrain yourself, then you shouldn't be davening in the first place. If you're able to restrain yourself, and even though you have the urge, you can restrain yourself from relieving yourself while davening, then, um, then you can, you davening's fine. Vat kama, and how much? How much? The same thing. Okay, until parsa. Let's just do one more small piece, and then we will discuss uh, the mitzvah of Tillin. Amar of Shmuel, Baranachmani, Amar of Yonasan. And by the way, that's the halacha, by the way, that if the halacha lemaisa is, if someone is davening, they feel um, urine trickling down their legs, they stop while they are davening, and it depends if the urine, let's say they're wearing shorts, if it goes to the ground or to their clothes. If it goes to the clothes and it's absorbed, as long as your clothes are not wet enough that if you were to put something against it, it would get saturated, then you can daven. It's considered absorbed enough. If it's to the point where you literally soaked yourself to the point that if something comes up against your pants, the seat of your pants, or, or, and becomes wet, that, then you should not daven. You have to stop. If you stop long enough that it was the length of time to say Shemona you go back to the beginning of Shemona Esrei, once the, you stopped relieving yourself. If it was a much shorter time, let's say 30 seconds, then you can go back to where you left off. If the urine went straight to the ground, and it's in the ground, you should distance yourself four amos from it, just like we did last week, we saw by the excrement. You're supposed to distance yourself four amos, about eight feet, or six to eight feet, depending if an ama is a foot and a half or two feet, and you should distance yourself eight feet, and then you can resume davening, again, with the same length of time. If you, if you waited or you paused long enough that you could have reset in Taishwan Esrei, then you start, go back to the beginning. If it was a much shorter one, then you can pick up where you left off. That is Allah Chumaysa. I don't see it happening very frequently to us, hopefully at least not in our stages of life right now, but just something to keep in mind. Okay. If you have in a minion, and it's on the floor, so you are moving away four feet. What about the others? 
Right. So if you remember, we discussed last week, it's different if it's a place you should have expected it or not have expected it. If you're in the middle of a doggy park, we said, where there's souvenirs all over the floor, then you shouldn't, you, then even after, if you find out afterwards your davening is no good, if you wound up davening there. If it's a place that you never would have expected to find it, you're in the middle of, of BRS in the show and you didn't know someone had the stupidity to put a dirty diaper in the chair before you, in front of you, in, in, the, in that little, uh, you know, pocket, um, you shouldn't, you wouldn't have thought to look there, then, you, then, you're, then you're not, you don't have to repeat. But every person has their obligation to themselves. You have to distance yourself as much as you can. <laughs> Preferably eight amos. Okay, so the Gemara says, "Amar of Shmuel bar Nachmani, Amar of Yonasan, Hanitzurch l'mkevav, Harezulayim spalos." Someone has to relieve himself; should not go to the bathroom. Sorry, should not daven. Mishum shenemar hikon the kras alokecha Yisrael. Prepare yourselves to greet Hashem. By the way, this pasuk that's in Amos, the Gemara Shabbos Daf Yud says that from here we learn you should dress accordingly, put on decent clothes and footwear when you daven. When you you should prepare yourself. To go ahead and to greet Hashem, you should wear footwear, meaning you should put on shoes. The only time Rahman al a person doesn't is if they're in a velo. So usually, it's a bad simon, you should always put on shoes when you're adopting. Amar continues, V'amar v'shmuel v'rachman y'amar y'onasan, Ma'edachsev shmuel ragalecha ka'asher te'lechel be'eselokim. You should guard your feet, watch your feet, when you enter the house, when you go to the house of Hashem, the house of God. This Pasuk is interpreted. We're going to see how it relates to us at the last interpretation, what the connection to our Gemara is. But for, suffice it for now, the first interpretation, watch yourself so that you do not transgress. But if you did go ahead and violate an Avera, have a carbon the I bring a carbon as a as an atonement before me. Vikar of Lishmoa, and what is the end of the Pasuk says, and you will be you, you will listen. Amarava have a car of Lishmoa Divakham. You should be open your ears, you should be close to listen to the words of the Khamashim Khotim Vim Karban Osam Shiva. That if you do go ahead and you commit a veros, you have to bring a carbon to Hashem. And the Pasuk says, Mites Aksilim, the last word is Zevach, rather than offer a carbon of fools. Don't be a fool, Hashem, who people bring carbonos but don't act on it. Don't do any tshuva. A carbon alone is not enough to to um, effectuate a tshuva. You have to go ahead, and on top of that, you have to do vidor and so on and so forth. The Gemara says, but I understand. The pasuk says, "Ki yodim The end of the pasuk says that they don't know how to do evil. If they don't know how to do evil, the implication is they're tzaddikim. If, so, what do you mean? Why are you calling them fools? tzaddikim If the pasuk says if they don't know how to do anything bad, by definition, they're all good. If they're all good, they're tzaddikim. Why are they bringing karbanos? So, Ella, the, this is the way to touch the pasuk. carbon. Don't be like a fool who bring carbonos, who sin or bring carbonos. They're not even aware that they're not even aware that they did anything wrong, and therefore they're not aware or they're not um, cognizant of if the if the um, carbon is for tshuva purposes or just an adava, a, a voluntary gift to Hashem. They're so far removed, whether they did something good or bad, they're bringing carbonos, but they don't know what the reason behind the carbon is. If it's a chatas, meaning they did something wrong, they have to do tshuva, or they're just giving a nice gift to Hashem. It's not leading to any action. That's how, that's how uh, clueless they are. Now, imal arahim evim, so they don't know if they bring in for good purposes or for bad purposes. They don't even know the difference between good and bad, and they're bringing karbanos. So that's the one way to interpret it. The second way to interpret it is what's relevant to our Gemara. When it says you should pro- approach, watch your feet. Watch your feet when you come to the house of Hashem. It means watch your orifice between your legs. 
and the time that you come in when you come to a shul. So guard yourself, meaning don't, uh, don't relieve yourselves um, at the time that you are davening before me, and that is how the, uh, the Pasuk is interpreted, and that's the, re- the relevance to our Gemara. Okay, so... Before we discuss tomorrow, we're gonna we're gonna discuss to Eli's point. This is talking about more tefillah. It's gonna extend to tefillin. You have to have a gufnaki. All these things that apply to tefillah certainly when you're wearing a davar shabbatusha tefillin. Let's just understand before we get into the uh, tefillin, just as a background, what exactly is the reason for tefillin, um, the kedusha of tefillin, so on and so forth. So we're all familiar with the pasuk in Shmos Yud Gimel says, Tefillin should be a sign on your hand, ulazikaron beni necha, and a memor- for a memory, a remembrance between your eyes. What's the reason? So that the words of Hashem should be upon your mouth. That's important. And then it says, Through a strong hand, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. The Mechilta, which is the Medrash, on Parshish Bo says as follows, From here we see, from this Pasuk, Anyone who dons Tefillin, it says, if they are learning Torah, because it says, put on tefillin in order that so that the words of Torah should be in your mouth. So the Michalta says, anyone, the Michalta says, anyone who's done tefillin, wearing tefillin, as if he's learning Torah, and anyone who is learning Torah is part of tefillin, of the connection, the connection in the Pasuk. So now, the question is, why should this be the case? Why should anyone who... In other words, why should anyone who's learning be parted from tefillin? So if you think about it, the Pasuk seems to be giving us time at the crowd. The Pasuk seems to be telling us the reason for tefillin. If the whole reason for tefillin is, is that the words of Torah should be on your mouth, if you're already learning tefillin, then by logical extension, sorry, if you're already learning Torah, then by logical extension, you shouldn't have to put on tefillin. That's what the Mechelta says. The Basamim Rosh, the Basamim Rosh was written by someone named Rav Shol Berlin in the 1700s. He claimed... That is, these were the tshuvas of the Rosh. That's what's called the Summer Rosh, Rosh Al Rabbeinu Asher, from the 13th century, the 12. Most people assume it's plagiarism, that he actually, he, even though he says it's from the Kisvei Arash, he actually wrote it himself. Not that that diminishes at all. I think Ravavad Yosef gave a very big approbation. Even if it's his own Torah, it's worthy of, of being repeated. But we don't think that it actually came from the, uh, from the Rosh. But nonetheless, it's called the Summer Rosh. What? Yes, I think, right. Right, reverse plagiarism, as opposed to what's going on in Harvard these days. Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. Correct, correct. Uh, but right, the rush did not uh, does not get credit for this. He gets enough credit for for everything else. So he says as follows. He says it only applies to someone who teaches Torah and not learns Torah. This is brilliant. When the Mechilta says that anyone who's learning Torah does not have to put on tefillin. He goes in and qualifies it. And he says it has to be only if you're Malame Torah, not Lomate. If you are teaching others, but not learning yourself. And he says as follows. He says, Why does it say, Lamantia Torah Hashem Beficha in your mouth? It could have just said, So that Hashem's, that Torah is, is commonplace, so that you're aware of the Torah. The fact that it says Beficha means you have to be teaching it. We know, we've discussed this, the Pasuk of Yisabo Yomam Valayla in Yoshua, which says we're obligated to learn Torah day and night. Rashi says there, Hegyon Libi means even in your heart. Mahara B'Divrei Torah, even if you think Torah. So why does your Yotzei Torah? Learning is even thinking Torah. You could be thinking your mind or listening to a shir without verbalizing anything and you fulfill the mitzvah of learning. So why does it say Torah Hashem Beficha? Specifically, if you are opening your mouth to teach Torah. 
And it's very interesting. The Gemara says, and listen to this, this will change the way we go ahead and say Eish Yishchayel every Friday night. The Gemara in Sukkah, Daf Mem Tess, it says as follows. Amar Abelazer, Maidachsev, Pia Pasav Echachma, we all say this in Eish Yishchayel Friday night from Mishlei. Pia Pasav Echachma, V'toras Chesed, Alishona. Torah's Chesed, the Torah of kindness, is on her lips, uh, is on her, on her tongue. So the Gemara says, Torah shall chesed, the Torah shall inal shall chesed. The Gemara says, understand, what is Torah's chesed? Are there two types of Torah? Some Torah is not shall chesed, that's not from kindness, and there are some Torahs that, some kind, types of Torah that is from kindness. The Gemara says, no. One answer is, no, Torah l'shma. Anything that's Torah l'shma is considered chesed shall Torah, Torah shall chesed, legitimate, uh, generous, um, Someone who does uh, favors for other people, that's considered Torah um, Shal Chesed. And Shalom Shema is not Torah Shal Chesed. Zu Torah Shal En Chesed. Ikadam, those who say Torah Lalamda, Zoe Torah Shal Chesed. You know what Torah Shal Chesed is? When you teach other people, when you're Lalamda, when not just you're learning for yourself and keeping it internally, when you share Torah with other people, that's considered. Chesed. That's why it says al lishona on your lips, on your tongue, so you're teaching it to others. So now we can understand the position of the Basam and Rosh. When he says that only when you go ahead and you're, when the Mechilta says that you are putter from putting on tefillin if you're learning Torah, since it says, adds the extra word Torah Hashem beficha, it means only when you go ahead and teach others. Now, let me ask you the following. But we're not, uh, I mean, in other words, it's the men who are teaching the Torah. Okay. Right. The women are not obligated. Women are obligated in general. The woman. Oh, so, correct. That's just, well. It's a good the, question. Well, right. who's, well, who's the allegory here? Who's the Eishas Chayel we're referring to? Right. Kadosh Baruch. Right. Kadosh Baruch. So it could be B'nai Israel. It's our tongue. So it could be a, a man also. Has, happens to be Lashona Kiva. I forgot you're the, gamer, you know, the grammar expert here. But yes, Lashona is female, but not necessarily the woman. It can also be uh, allegorically referring to B'nai Israel, just like Ani the the whole thing of Shir Shir. Now. He got me. This is, it's not the first time. So anyway, so now, so, um, it certainly won't be the last. So now. I'm supposed to say they're not the last, not you. I love you. Okay, so now, so the Rav Kiva Eger, um, a very famous tshuva in Rav Kiva Eger in Kuf Pei in Arachayim, it was asked actually by Rav Bunim Eger. So, actually not Rav Kiva Eger, the Chassam Sofer. Chassam Sofer was the son-in-law of Rav Kiva Eger. The Chassam Sofer was married. I think he lost, he, he didn't have any children from his first wife. I think at the age of 50, 51, 52, he remarried. And his, the Shadchan was Rav Akiva Eger's brother of Bunim Eger. And he set him up with his niece, who was Rav Akiva Eger's daughter. And he's the one who asked the question to the Chassam Sofer, his, his nephew-in-law. He asked the following question. There's a Tosfos that we've discussed in the past that we're familiar with the concept of afhein hayu ba'osohanes, that even women are obligated in certain mitzvahs that are time-bound because they too were included in the nace. And the three examples, the, the famous examples are Dalit Kosos, Megillah, Neros Hanukkah. The fourth one we discussed is also Shalashudas, everything that comes in for Shabbos because they were also included in the nace according to the, the Ron, I believe it was. So Tosfos asked the following question. Even though it's a positive time-bound mitzvah, and generally women are exempt from any positive time-bound mitzvah, 
these three mitzvahs of Neros Chanukah, of Purim, Megillah and Purim, and Dal Kosos and Pesach, women are obligated because Afein, they too were included. And we saw this in Machlokas, what Afein means. The Rashbam said, because they were the cause of it. Either it was Yehudis on Pesach, it was Esther on Purim, or the, sorry, Yehudis on Chanukah, or the Nashim Tzidkanios, the righteous women who continued to give birth during, um, during the, uh, the, Gal- the Galos, the, the Avdos, because of them it happened. Tosos didn't like that answer. It says, because Af means even they were included. It seems to be that they had a, a tuffel, a more minor role, right? A more minor role. So he says, because they too were included, not that they were the primary reasons for it. The way the Rashbam explains it, it was because of Esther happened. It wouldn't be even Af, hey, even they were included. That would suggest more prim- primacy, more uh, prime role for them. Tosos says because they were included. But Tosos asks the following question. To Elliot's point, he just mentioned matzah. We know that women are obligated in matzah. Why are women obligated in matzah? Because just like they're obligated in the losa, say, of chametz, we say kosh yeshna bayra bayra baymatzah is obligated in chametz, in matzah. The only reason they're obligated in matzah, you would think that matzah is a mitzvah, it's a positive, time-bound mitzvah. But because they're obligated through the hekesh, whoever is obligated in don't eat, don't find matzah. Chametz is obligated in matzah, just like we have by Shabbos. Anyone who's obligated in Shamor, in the Los Ases, is obligated in the mitzvah Asay of Shabbos, Kiddush, and so on and so forth. Tosos asks, why do we need this hekesh? Why can't we just say, Afhein, Hayub, Osoanes? Tosos asks, in Megillah, this is Tosos' question, why do I need the, the, the comparison? The hekesh of whoever is obligated in the negative, don't buy raw by matzah, you can't see chametz, you can't own chametz in your possession, therefore they're obligated in the flip, in the converse, which is eat matzah. Why not just say, af hein ha They too are included in the mitzvah of matzah. And he says in answer, he says that whenever you have af hein, it only obligates them on a dirabanan level. It can never obligate them on a, on a Torah level. Think about it. Purim, by definition, is a rabbinical institution. Chanukah is a rabbinical institution. And Dalit Kosos is not mentioned anywhere in the Torah. So the three examples are only Mitra Banan. And therefore he says, if not for this hekesh of Bayra, Baymatzeh, just like they're obligated in Bayra, Baymatzeh, they're obligated in Matzah, we would say they're potter from Mitzvah Sashesim Agrama. So we need this hekesh in order to obligate women. We cannot rely on Afhein Hayubosu Anes. We cannot rely on it simply because... It's only a Durabonan. And Matzah, the women are obligated on a Torah level. Everyone understand Tosus' answer? Again, Tosa says, what, women are obligated in Matzah. We know that. So he says, why do I need this Hekesh to teach us that women are obligated in Matzah? The Hekesh meaning whoever's obligated in the negative precept of Bayerobe Matzah, you cannot find Chametz in your possession, is obligated on the converse. If you have an Isser to eat Chametz, you have an obligation to eat Matzah. He says, why can't we just rely on the concept of they too were involved in, just like they're obligated in Dalakosos, they should be obligated in Matzah. So Tosas gives an answer that never can obligate someone on a Torah level. Okay? That's what he answers. Now, well, it, correct, correct. It has to be stronger because Afein can never exceed the... The, the rabbinic level, correct. And the opposite of the Lotaser and the Asse is that Asteraisa? Say again? The, that opposite thing where the, the 
So that's also, that's Minat Torah as well. So it, ha- it would have to be, the flip would also have to be on a Torah level, and Afein can never elevate the obligation of women to a Torah level. So he asked the following question. He says, I don't understand, why would Tosos even, this is Rav Bunemager, the, the uncle of the Chassam Sofer, says, I don't understand Tosos' question in the first place. Tefillin, Tefillin is a mitzvah saseshes mangram. In fact, women are exempt from Tefillin, that is the Gemara Kedushin Lama Dalit says the paradigm for teaching us that women are exempt from all mitzvahs as seishas mangrama is tefillin itself. That is the binyan of that is. Isn't that no gufnaki. You talking about gufnaki or tzniyus? In other words, women don't wear tefillin because of tzniyus. Tzniyus gufnaki, but that's but that's a reason we give afterwards. That's just a practical reason. The actual Gemara says that the source, the actual case from where we learn. That women, because Lila loves Montfilin and Shabbos and Yontif loves Montfilin, women are exempt from that. That is the paradigm. That is the the uh, prime example of w- women are being exempt from positive time by mitzvah. And from Tefillin, we learn to everywhere else. Says Rav Bodemager. Here's the following question: If you look at the Psukim, I don't understand Tefillin. Not only is it mitzvah she's grandma like matzes, but you can also apply Afhein Hayub also an by Tefillin. Why? What does the end of tefillin say? It says, It should be a sign on your hands and between your eyes. Tefillin is tied to Yitzias Mitzrayim. Just like women are obligated in matzah, just like they're obligated in Dalakosos because of, they were part of Yitzias Mitzrayim, so too we should say that they're obligated in tefillin because of Yitzias Mitzrayim. If that's the case, listen to this question now. We'll put it all together. Give me one second, just tie it all together, and then you can ask your question. So in the Pasuk of Tefillin itself, we, have that it's, we know that Tefillin is a mitzvah sashay says mangrama. We also see that it's tied to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Therefore, <clears throat> you have two opposite opposing. A mitzvah sashay says mangrama would say that women are exempt or obligated. Exempt. Afhain would say that they're exempt or Obligated. Obligated. So by tefillin, you have a mitzvah sashes mangrama working in contradistinction or, or, or in contrast to an afhain. And wh- who's the winner? It's a mitzvah sashes mangrama. So he, the Rav Bunim Eger says, I don't understand Tosa's question by matzah. You already have an example in the Torah where you have these two uh, principles opposing each other, and we know that the winner is af, uh, a mitzvah sashes mangrama. So what's the question by matzah? <clears throat> by matzah, you also have mitzvah Grama, and he says, well, why don't we learn that? Why don't we need the hekesh? Why don't I just learn that from Afhain? Which one should win? Why are you even asking the question? I don't understand. We have another example by tefillin. Tefillin, you have the same thing. You have tefillin to mitzvah Grama, <clears throat> and it's also Afhain Hayu, because it says in the Pasuk, because Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, and women were also taken out of Mitzrayim, so much so that that's what obligates them in Dalakosos. Right. So you have the same two opposing principles in another area of, of Shas, of Torah. So why does Tosa say, why do you need by matzah? What do you mean? We know that Afhain is going to lose to Mitzvah Sashish Magrama by from Tefillin. So why are you asking on matzah, why do we need <clears throat> the Hekesh? Why can't we say Afhain? We know Afhain alone won't beat out Mitzvah Sashish Magrama. That's his question. So this is what he posed to his nephew-in-law, the Chassam Sofer. 
Listen to what the Chazam Sofer says. This is going to blow us out of the water. I, I thought we'd have more time, but let me at least give me two minutes. <clears throat> Chazam Sofer says, the reason why we put on tefillin has nothing to do with the Tziyas Mitzrayim. Listen to his Lashon Azov, the pearls that come out of his mouth. He says, The reason we put on tefillin, says the, the Chazam Sofer, is not related specifically or solely to Tziyas Mitzrayim. Ki hum mechok avas when a chos and a kala get married, they show each other, they, they, they show, they express their love and commitment, at least the kala does, by wearing a ring. It's a shel ava. It's to manifest the love, it's to show everyone the love. We wear tefillin, <coughs> and if you ever read Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan's Sefer on tefillin, it's amazing. That is our wedding ring to our Kaddish Baruch Hu. Oh, beautiful. I'm bound to you forever. Tefillin is a is a is a uh, um, expression of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's love for us and for him. We know the four parshios in the in the um, tefillin represent what a Kaddish Baruch Hu did for us. He skipped over Yali Kol Bechor. We have the two parshios Shema and Petar Rechem. A Kaddish Baruch Hu took Rachamim on us. He didn't kill the Bechorim when he killed the Bechorim of of Mitzrayim. And what does Hashem have in His tefillin? Mika Amcha Yisrael. This was Kedusha Slavi we spoke about the Bedichever. <clears throat> It's an expression of love. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is only a way that we remember the love. But it's not the, the impetus, the driving factor. It's not the force behind the mitzvah. It's a matter of fact, by the way. It's a matter of fact. So, by the way, so that afhain would not be enough by tefillin. Because the reason is not Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. That would never, that's why Tosos had to ask the question. Because the case by tefillin in alone is not, you never have a mitzvah says Magrama fighting the Afein, because the Afein comes from Tzias Mitzrayim. But that's not the reason for the mitzvah. Right. The reason for the mitzvah is to show an expression of her love. What better way where a, a woman gets, if you see all those pictures where a kala gets married, it's, it's always, right, the engagement pictures, oh, she's holding out her, her ring finger because there's a diamond ring on there. <clears throat> that's an expression of love. This is our expression, Akash Baruch's expression of love. If you understand that now, when someone fears Hashem, what do you do? You watch yourself that you don't do anything wrong. When you love Hashem, what do you want to do? You want other people to love Hashem as well. When you're afraid of someone, Ayaz at Sanchan, a former Sanchan, I don't want to get him angry. I'm going to walk, if I see him walking at night with his hoodie on, as I do sometimes, I, I cross the other side of the street. He's an intimidating figure. <clears throat> if you love someone, you would want everyone to also love that person. So the Rambam says, in fact, this is what the Rambam says. And this is the mitzvah gimel, and this minyan mitzvah. The Rambam is talking about avas Hashem. He says, "Shezosa mitzvah gami kolelas sheniya korem levnei adam kulam lavototo yisale lahaminbo." We don't only want to believe in ourselves; we want to get everyone to believe in Hashem. Right? Kol kol We say everyone's going to turn to you. If you see someone who's mechal shabbos, what do you tell? If you love Hashem, you tell that person in a very nice, soft rebuke. You're doing what you're doing is wrong because you have a difference from Yira. Now we understand why it says Torah Hashem Beficha, the whole thing, and Torah Chesed Al Shona. If Tefillin is about Ava, and the Rambam says <clears throat> Ava is defined and manifests as you getting other people involved, difference between Yira and Ava. Ava, you want everyone to love Hashem. When you love Hashem, you want to get everyone involved. Now, Torah Hashem Beficha, you have to teach other people. The Torah Chesed Al Shona, it comes full circle. We understand that wearing tefillin is an expression of love for Hashem and that you want to get everyone involved. Now you understand the B'Samim Rosh. 
when he says someone who learns Torah is potter from tefillin, it's not when you yourself learn. It's only when you're teaching others. Because that's the true definition of Avas Hashem. When you get other people, when you get the crowd <coughs> riled up <coughs> in Avodas Hashem, that's the true definition of love. And Mir Hashem will pick up tomorrow with a little more topics of tefillin before we go on in the Gemara. Have a fantastic day. Oh, yeah.